Wednesday at 12 noon, and you're in the right place. You're at the podcast where we talk about our whole Holy Bible in a year readings. Uh, welcome. Welcome one and all, and welcome to our special guest, Emily. Please introduce yes. our distinguished guests, both of them returning for another yes. episode. We have with us Pastors Danny Householder. Hi, Danny. Hey, hey. And Brian Brown. Hi, Brian. Hi, Emily. Thanks little, for coming back. Little known fact, both of them were competitive high jumpers in college. We were just discussing. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Slight difference in slightly there. Slightly different results. <laughs> yeah. One of us was a national champion. One of us was a Division three participant. Oh, should man. we leave it at that or should we go forward with details? Uh, you're, I, I, I have no good. shame. I think we're good. <laughs> There's that manners, right? Yeah. Courtesy. The, the, the one who won all the trophies is humble enough to not want to talk about it. The one who won nothing really wants to well, talk about it. The, honestly, I wish I could do a pole vault, but well, and I was stuck with the high You jump. did other things. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, if I could do one thing as good as you did, I wouldn't have been doing the decathlon, which is for people who are pretty average at everything. Danny, when you did the decathlon, you did the high jump and the, and the pole vault. What is it your teammates, you told us just before we went on air, what is it your teammates <laughs> called you when you did the pole vault? My nickname was the flying turkey. <laughs> <laughs> pretty sure they don't fly. They don't. Yeah. That was the point. <laughs> But they try. <laughs> well, we're going to try to fly through oh, the man. questions that we've yeah. been getting yeah. this week from, from Hope Folks and Reading Scripture. And before we do, though, I want to say this, that if you are um, new to this podcast or you're new to reading the Bible, you have found a good time to jump in. Uh, we have the handy-dandy uh, Whole Holy Bible bookmark that Emily has uh, over there. Mm-hmm. You can hold that up, Emily, mm-hmm. uh, for the camera. You can pick those up at any Hope location. You can find them online on our websites. This will be a reading uh, program for you to follow and read through the whole New Testament at minimum, minimum the whole Holy Bible, uh, if you want to go that way. Sure, you've missed three months, three and a half months. But this is, the reason I say all this is this is a really good time to jump in. The gospel, of when people ask me, uh, you know, I want to start reading the Bible, uh, where should I begin? I always say the gospel of John would be a good place to start. So not just for you, but tell your friends, invite them to do this, to get in, get into this program, to, to dive into scripture more, better than any diet, better than any workout program, mm. better, as good as those things are, can be. Yeah. <laughs> this is... Um, this is going to change your whole life. I mean, yeah. uh, for now and forever. So, strongly encourage people uh, in, to encourage encourage you to encourage your friends to dive right into the Holy Bible. And as you do, we're saying it's the whole Holy Bible in a year. We want to read it, we want to learn it, and we want to live it. Uh, and so, this podcast is for the sake of helping you bridge between reading it and living it. We want to help mm-hmm. you learn it. So, with that, let's get right to the questions with a little help from Ted Lasso. Why don't we just jump right in? Anybody got any questions? Oh, yeah. No, should have saw that coming. Okay. We've got questions. Also, if you have questions, you can submit those. Kelsey's here for social media. We already have one. We'll weave that in. We can weave in more. So submit those now. But to start us out, we're going to look at our Old Testament readings uh, from this week. So what can we learn about the faithfulness of God in First Kings, Danny? Yeah. Uh, well, we can learn that God is very, very faithful despite um, human unfaithfulness. Mm. So... The purpose of First Kings is to show us how the line of David continues and the people of God wanted a king. Uh, we want a king just like all the other nations. And so God says, okay, we'll, we'll do that. It doesn't go very well. They have lots of kings who rise and they have lots of kings who fall. Um, in First Kings, there's a long um, history of this king named Solomon who starts in wisdom and he rises and things are going very well. Right. But in the same way that things went well for Saul and then they fell, things went well for David and they fell, well, things are going to happen for Solomon as well. Mm-hmm. And it's not just because he's a bad king to the people in certain different places. He's a great king at times and he's a bad king at other times. It's not just because he's not good at his job. It's actually because he's 
he is deliberately disobeying um, the commands that God had for kings and what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, God gives commands for if the people are going to have a king. And he says this, the king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses. For the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt. The king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord. He must not accumulate large amounts of wealth in silver or in gold for himself. Now go ahead and read the stories of Solomon. That's a description of Solomon. Yeah. And so what's happened with these kings? It's no matter how great your human king seems, they're vulnerable to the same sin mm-hmm. and the same corruption that the people were living in when they were living in slavery in Egypt. And so God says, human kings aren't going to last you. We need a king who's not just going to rise, but will also remain. The people are, are I mean, they're, they're clear about what they want. In First Kings chapter 12, uh, they, they, I mean, they just, they're attempting to slap God in the face. They say, down with the dynasty of David. We have no interest in the son of Jesse. Back to your homes, O Israel. Look out for your own house, O David. Um, and Pe- it's, People are fickle. They sure are. <laughs> Absolutely. And the Lord is faithful. Mm. Um, it, I'm fast forwarding a little bit, but if you get to the end of Second Kings, after the people have been exiled and the kings have failed them, there is this one man who is a descendant yeah. of King David. Yeah. And it's just this tiny little glimmer of hope. They're totally exiled. The people are forgotten. They have no power anymore. But this one king or this one descendant of King David, who's not a king, ends up sitting at the table of the king at that time. And it's this tiny little glimmer of hope to say, I'm not giving up on this line yet. Mm -hmm. I'm not giving up on my plan for redeeming people. So God's hanging in there. Um, And it's funny. A lot of times we read the Old Testament like, wow, God, I mean, give the people a break. But then you read the details of these stories. You're like, God, why did you give these people a break? Mm -hmm. A lot of grace. Yeah. 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 Now I think grace is probably thematic throughout first Kings. Um, There's clearly disobedience. There's clearly a reason for God to have anger. And Mm -hmm. um, with the the decisions that are made, even with King Solomon, with all his wisdom, um, he knew better. And a lot of times that's where the challenge is. And for a God who is a holy God, he continues to provide grace. And it is important for um, from a leadership standpoint to realize their standards and there's mm-hmm. um, opportunities to uh, be restored. But then with that, there's still this wrath. I mean, yes. there were times when yes. um, not only was there sparing of the king, but the descendants, yes. you know, his dynasty uh, was impacted by it. So a lot of times the decisions um, of the of, of the king impacts not only his current situation, but future um, generations as well. Okay. <laughs> That's so well said about Solomon from both of you, Brian and Danny. Uh, there's a there's a movement to his life too, and it's not great. I mean, it starts so well. He's he's, mm-hmm. he's given this gift of wisdom. He asks God for wisdom. He says, "Give me more wisdom than anybody's ever had," and God blesses him with it. But that's a that's a humbling reminder that we shouldn't just be um, longing for people to lead us as nations, as people who are smart. I mean, mm-hmm. it's important that they have wisdom. It's important that they have intelligence. It's important that they have these things. It's also important they have goals and plans and agendas and all that kind of stuff. But where Solomon fell is his political agenda became more important mm-hmm. to him than being faithful to God. Mm-hmm. And I think we we see um, some kind of dangerous tendencies like that all around our world when we see world leaders and who rises up to power. Let, let's be really careful that we don't just say, well, the ends justify the means. Not according to First Kings. Mm-hmm. Not, not according to these chapters. It, it's the way we do it that matters, too. It's do we have integrity? Do we have character? Solomon started marrying daughters of other kings, foreign kings, not because he loved them, 
And not because God wants us to marry more than one person. That God never blesses that. That's that's I, just as a quick aside, a quick tangent. People are like, well, th- what is marriage in the Bible? Because you know Solomon had all these hundreds of wives. Yeah, and God wasn't for it. And as soon as he did, everything started falling apart. Which leads to this other point. God does not protect us from the worldly consequences of our sin. When we start to drift away from God's intent from the beginning of creation, that marriage is for a man and a woman, and it's expected to be just like this, as soon as we start inventing our own views on that, well, I can have 27 wives or or 29 husbands or, or whatever it might be, or we can make up our own rules on this. That's the sin that leads to consequences. God isn't going to protect us from that. And it, it obviously seems like it matters a lot to God how we live, it, that he cares deeply about the details of the way we're living our lives, who we worship, who we serve, what we're living for, all those kinds of things. But you both mentioned it. You both alluded it to it. People are fickle, but God mm-hmm. is faithful. Mm-hmm. And God's faithfulness and his grace breaks through even when we do sin, which is what I really want to make sure everybody hears. Mm-hmm. So we can sit here and just rant and rave about how terrible the people were back then and how it eventually led to the Assyrians taking over the northern kingdom of Israel, how it led to the split of God's people, first of all, which weakened them both and made them more susceptible to hostile takeovers. The Assyrians to the north around 722 BC, uh, the Babylonians took over the southern kingdom of Judah with its capital in Jerusalem around 587 BC. All these things happen, but we, if we find the root system of it, you go back to what Solomon started, what 20 more kings, which is what first and second kings was about. That's why they call it kings. Um, you follow 20 other kings in the two different kingdoms, and zero of 20 are faithful in Israel. Eight of 20 are faithful in Judah. That's not a real good percentage. And so it is with nations still in the world today. When we continually end up with unfaithful leadership, history tells us nations don't last. And a lot of times the reason nations don't last is we, we slide away. We, we just go our own way. We get too arrogant about who we are, what we know, and what our agendas are. And we put political gain over faithfulness to God. But there's always a remnant. Mm. I, I want to say that as strongly as I can. There's, so what's our role, church? What, mm. What's the role of a faithful child of God? Be a faithful remnant. Be, be the Elijah. Be the, be the prophetic voice. Be the Elisha in these stories. Be, be the people who we're going to read about in First and Second Kings who stay true to God's word, even when almost everybody around them has fallen away. Mm. Uh, stay faithful to God because... Even when everyone else is falling away, if you take the long view, you're going to want to stick with God. Um, God is going to prevail, and those who belong to God are going to prevail in the end, too. That's good. Okay, looking to John in the New Testament, what do you want Bible readers to notice in the well-known story of the woman caught in adultery? Yeah. Uh, oftentimes when we think about that story, we often think about um, when Jesus actually engaged in conversation. I think even before um, they bring the, the woman to Jesus, there's already a, an entrapment. There's already a conversation. He's already yes. um, teaching. And then there's the people who still see him as the problem still are showing up. They're still being taught, but yet they're still being uh, driving their own agenda. So it's early in the morning, but the Pharisees are there, people are there. Yeah. And at the same time, there's an entrapment, but Jesus obviously, he's aware of that. I would want people to know in the story, um, yes, they bring the woman. We don't know where the man is because <laughs> she was caught in the act, but they only bring the woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I would want them to know that there is um, a, a pace that Jesus has uh-huh. in terms of when he speaks, it's not immediate. Um, mm. He takes his time. He listens. 
Um, so there's a, a lesson in there to not be so quick to answer, even when you know that the enemy is raising uh, lies and, and accusations, but also trying to entrap, that there's a pace that is involved, slow to speak, yeah. um, and being thoughtful about the pace. And then when he does, um, it's with authority. And I think what I see most often in this text is the grace, not only for the woman, but the grace that he allows for those who also who kind of sneaks out and drops their stones and kind of slips away, that there is grace there as well as um, the, well, they come for persecution, he allows them to see that uh, when they look and reflect on their own lives, the same grace they would give this woman is the same grace that they're being given. That's Man, incredible. I've, I've never heard it quite like that. That is such a good mm-hmm. word to describe what Jesus, his posture, his, mm-hmm. his, his pace. I, I love the way you say that, Brian, that there's, there's a movement to the way Jesus handles really an entrapment. The, mm-hmm. as, as you said, they're trying to trap him. If he says, go ahead and stone her, then he's doing something that God doesn't want, ultimately. Uh, it, and, and if he goes the other way, then he's he's going to get accused of not taking the law seriously. Mm-hmm. So he's apparently from a worldly view in a no-win situation, but he is, has a non-anxious presence. Mm-hmm. He has a pace. He mm-hmm. has, as you said, he has a, he has a calmness to him. Look at chapter eight, uh, verse six. They're trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus, instead of flipping out like, Oh no, you got me mm-hmm. stoops down and wrote in the dust with his finger. And they kept demanding an answer. And so apparently they, it was like, you know, a pitcher throws, throws the pitch and the umpire just waits. Mm. Let, let, let me, let me uh, let, instead of calling a, a ball or a strike, let, let me just stoop down and start draw, drawing in the dirt. As if, it, 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 Bible scholars have had a field day with this, but those who I am most uh, persuaded by say, He's doodling to make a point. Mm. Like your question is not the most important thing I'm doing here right mm. now. Me doodling in the in the dirt mm. is the most important thing I'm doing right now. Others say, well, he's he's maybe doing an illustration. He's drawing a cross. He's he's writing the word grace. Who, who knows what? But that's all speculation. We don't know. If John wanted us to know, he would have told us. Mm. It, it would be in here. But what we sense for sure from reading it the way it's written mm-hmm. is the pace. Mm-hmm. I think it's also worth pointing out just the, the public and the private part of this story Yeah, that Jesus deals with the Pharisees and their self-righteousness and we can read our self-righteousness that we can fall into the temptation of giving into as religious people once in a while. He deals with that first and publicly. Mm-hmm. He doesn't start with the woman's sin nor, as you said, Brian, the, the apparently it takes two to commit adultery. Mm-hmm. So apparently mm-hmm. the man's not involved. They give him a pass, but they bring the woman before him. He deals first with them by saying, "Go ahead and stone her." But if, but if, but only if you don't have any sin. And he knows, of course, we all do. And so I, I just love talk about pace and just the drama mm-hmm. of this moment. Imagine just hearing those stones drop one by mm-hmm. one on the ground because they know. They thought they had Jesus, and now they know Jesus has them. Right. He completely turns it with one phrase, with one question. Go ahead. You're right. You could do that if Mm. you don't have any sin. And so he's leveling the ground at the foot of the cross again for us. He's showing us this this is what it is. But there's something else going on here. And people are saying, yeah, go ahead and say that. That's true. But, But also, he told the woman, go and sin no more. And he did. Because adultery is sinful. It hurts people. It hurts families. It hurts marriages. It hurts communities. It's wrong. It's sinful. She should stop. 
and anybody who's listening to us right now who's given into that temptation should stop. And we know from the Gospels earlier that Jesus says, if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you're guilty of the sin of adultery. We, we should stop. That's not our best. We were made for more. So it isn't Jesus giving a pass on the sin at all. He says, go and sin no more. But why does he do it? Because he wants her to have a new life. But notice this. He publicly pushes away the accusers and he doesn't until they're gone privately go to the woman one-on-one and say, where are your accusers? And she says, well, you know, I guess they're gone. He says, well, neither do I accuse you. There's Mm -hmm. the grace. Now here's the call to repentance because I love you. I I didn't just offer you this grace so that you'd stay stuck in a sinful behavior that's going to continue to hurt you and hurt other people. I set you free from this, um, you know, this offense of God, this sin of adultery, so that I could point you to a better way, a a deeper truth and a more abundant life. It's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. One last thing here. This story starts with stones. The very last verse of the same chapter, John chapter eight, they're picking up stones to kill Jesus. So, so they start with stones against the immoral, sinful woman, according to their religious law. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the chapter, they're picking up stones to kill the Lamb of God. And Jesus knows it. He knows not only is he's starting to become the Lamb of God that John points us to at the beginning of John's gospel, John the Baptist, when he says, behold, the Lamb of God, follow him to his own disciples. Now Jesus is taking on that role and saying, by, by pushing her accusers away, I'm now putting myself in her place. You go ahead and stone me because I'm not going to let you stone her. Wow, what an example. I mean, what an example Jesus is setting for us as Christians. As fo- if we're really serious about following Jesus, that's the way we're going to handle it. We are going to publicly push away self-righteous people and privately go to the people, not make a spectacle, not humiliate them, not shame them, but privately go to people and say, let me show you a better way. There's a beautiful example for the church. And because Jesus does that for us, he becomes our sacrificial lamb. Yeah. Amen. Who is Jesus according to him, and what should we make of the bold claims he has in John 8? Like, I am the light of the world, I am, and anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. Uh, Well, he's not bashful about who he is. (laughs) And we know that because, again, like you just said there, Dad, by the end of this chapter, they're going to lift up some stones and they're going to kill him. Mm. And in John, they're also going to tell him, we're not killing you because of the good things you do. We're doing because you, a mere man, am claiming to be God. So he's, he's very, very unbashful about it. When Jesus uses the phrase, I am, uh, in the Greek, the way that it's written is ego eimi. Ego eimi is the Greek translation of the ancient Hebrew name for God, which is Yahweh. And it literally means I am. Ego eimi quite literally means I exist. I am self-sustaining. The place where we see it originally is when God is appearing to Moses through the burning bush. And mm-hmm. while the bush is on fire, the bush is not being burned up. The fire is self-sustaining. It doesn't need any fuel. And so when Jesus is saying this, and especially at the end when he's saying, before Abraham was, I am. That's pretty strong. I mean, he, I mean it, it, he sounds insane, right? I mean, he sounds nuts. It sounds like he's speaking without any uh, care for grammar. Um, and at the same time, <laughs> finish your sentence. <laughs> yeah, you are Abraham, I am, you know? And, and, and why? Accept that, yeah. It, it's because he's saying that every single person in this world depends on something to live. Mm. I don't. So you can kill me. You can pick up those stones and you can kill me. But I'm okay with that. He knows where he's going. He knows yeah. what's going to happen. You know what I mean? It, 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 it's amazing how well, I mean, John is a great writer. 
And it is amazing how well he lines up not only just these individual chapters, but the fullness of this mm-hmm. entire story. Jesus there says, I am the light of the world. And this is a theme that shows up throughout the entire book of John. In John chapter one, John starts it off by saying, this is the light. The light shines into the darkness and the darkness will never overcome it. And Jesus is saying, I am the light that just exists. Every other light in your world will eventually burn out. In this studio here, we have lights that will eventually burn out. You know, a lot of times you say, well, light shines in the darkness and light always wins. Yeah, but every other light in the history of the world, including the sun, eventually loses. Mm. It all burns out. And Jesus is saying, I am a light that is different than that. I am a light that never runs out. And so when Jesus is saying to this to these people, I am, I exist, he's saying, you, you could take my life away from me. And you wouldn't take away my existence. You wouldn't take away my power. You wouldn't take away what I can do. I mean, he does. And then the next chapter in John chapter nine, where it's going to be a whole lot of talks about uh, light and darkness. And we're preaching on that this weekend when Jesus Mm -hmm. uh, gives sight to a blind man who seemingly is living in darkness. But then Jesus says, well, those of you who are living apart from me, you are the ones who really live outside of darkness um, or live outside of light. It's those of you who are living away from self-sustaining light, the one that could never go away. Mm. You know, the, the important piece too as well, and I appreciate you know, everything I think is the, he knows exactly who he is and he knows exactly what his yes. role is. And for us, um, he wants us to have that same assurance. And mm. I think for, when we think about when he talks about, I am the light of the world is what everything that he did was so that we might believe that he is who he says mm. he is. And the, the opportunity to really see, um, comes only when our eyes are opened. Um, even when we're born, uh, though we have eyes, we don't see. Um, we we not we're not really seeing. Uh, the light doesn't come on until we have a loving relationship with Jesus by believing that He is who He says He is. Mm. So many times, those who think they see because their eyes are open yeah. are the ones that are blind. So yeah. He knows, and He's trying to get us to see exactly who He is. And if we can't see Him, we can't see His Father. Oh, that's so strong. Mm. That. There's, there's Jesus clearly saying that he is not just a carpenter's kid from Nazareth here. He is God. And then there's also, um, as you guys are alluding to, uh, he's saying, I'm the light of the world. How does the whole Bible start? God says, let there be light. Mm-hmm. So he's claiming that that's me. I'm, I'm the thing God said the world needs in order mm-hmm. to see, Brian, mm-hmm. as you were just saying. And if we can't see Jesus, we can't see God, as you're saying. And so Jesus is saying, look, God has become human and dwells among you. I'm here. The light is with you. Don't miss this. Here's why it matters. We could say, okay, so Jesus thinks he's God. So what? Well, that means when he goes to the cross, that's the ultimate sacrifice that the God of creation who can speak light into existence with a phrase and with a word humbles himself to the point of death. It's like the judge who pronounces the death sentence on the criminal in in a way that would be just according to the law steps down from the judge's loft, you know, the, 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 the raised level where the judge sits looking down on, on those he's, he or she is judging, takes off the robe, comes down and says, and now I'll take that sentence for you. Mm -hmm. If he's God, well, now it's legit. I mean, now he's not just some dude or some prophet even, or some miracle worker even, or, or some revolutionary leader even. Now he's the creator of the universe who loves us like that. There's just no, there's no limit to how deep God's love is for us. And nothing proves the point more than the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm. 
Uh, next question then is, how can we make sense of two apparent self-contradictory statements Jesus said when he said, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd in John 10? Hmm. The good shepherd part is easier to understand. We, you know, and that gets quoted a lot. Jesus is the good shepherd. When we're kids, sometimes we get little pictures of Jesus as, mm-hmm. as the gentle shepherd with the little lambs and, you know, we're, and he's with the children. And, and we, so, so we get that on a just intuitive level, I think, on a, if, if we grew up in Sunday school or, or anything like that. But it seems contradictory that Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd. He's saying, I'm the gate. Well, pick one, Jesus. Which is it? You've got two different metaphors going on here, two different images for yourself identifying. And it's trying to kind of hard to figure out how those fit together. Either you're the good shepherd or you're the gate. And how, how can you be both? Quick, simple explanation is, you know, one thing a good shepherd does is he leads his sheep into the pen where they're protected from the predators. Mm. But the part of this story that I think too many people miss, but it's so simple, it's not that hard to see, is he says, I'm the good shepherd, but I'm also the gate. The best shepherds would, you know, would lay down, literally lay down at the opening. There has to be an opening to get in. And if there is no gate there, the gate is broken, then the shepherd becomes the gate. I'll take the predators for you. The predators will come, but I will protect you from them. I will Mm -hmm. die so you can live. Um, here in this same chapter, Jesus says, I have come, the whole purpose for which I have come, it's like kind of the drum roll. It's like, well, what is it, Jesus? What are you here for? I came to give you life and to give it abundantly or give it to the full or depending on the translation you read. Uh, Dr. Eugene Peterson's The Message translation says, I came, the whole purpose of me coming is to give you a life beyond anything you ever dreamed of. That's a beautiful and accurate translation of the original Greek, a life that's better than we can even imagine. And not just someday in heaven. That's part of it, because the word here is zoe for life, and it implies eternal life, but it also implies new life right now, today. I can give you a life that's better than you imagined right here and right now. And that doesn't mean worldly application. Remember, John, Jesus is talking on this plane and we're down here on this plane. We don't see what he sees. Mm -hmm. And until we see it, we can't really see who God is. What Jesus is saying is, I'm going to give you a success that goes beyond worldly success. I'm going to give you a peace that passes human understanding. I'm going to give you a joy that's untouchable. I'm going to give you a life that's beyond anything you ever dreamed of and a a rich and abundant and full life that has nothing to do with how big your bank account is. It could have something to do with it on some level, but probably not. What Jesus is getting at is I want to give you something deeper. I want to give you something stronger. I want to give you something that's going to last forever and it can start right now. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one who can lead you to it. Follow me. And I'm also the gate who will lay down his life for you to make sure that you can experience this new and everlasting life. God is good. Yeah. One of our writing questions says, God made us in his image. Then why did he make us sinful so that we could be saved by Jesus? We needed to be. Well, that's a great question. Uh, I'll take a first swing at it. Uh, God didn't make us sinful. Uh, mm-hmm. we, he, gave, he gave us the freedom mm-hmm. to either be faithful or to rebel against God. And if he didn't give us that freedom, then we're going to be puppets. We're, we're just going to, we're, we're not going to have, boy, if we don't have freedom, mm-hmm. then we can't make any choice. So if you can choose love and you have to be able to choose hate, if you can choose good, you have to be able to choose evil. If you can choose righteousness, you have to be able to choose sinfulness. And with those choices comes the 
potential for sin. And when the serpent, <coughs> excuse me, when the serpent comes into the Garden of Eden, that's the story of Adam and Eve and the story of us falling into that temptation. Yeah. So sin comes into the world, not because God made us to sin, but because uh, we chose uh, yeah. to rebel against God in that is sin in, a, in its perfect definition. Yeah. Thanks for that. Uh, what's the meaning of the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept in John eleven thirty five. The one confirmation kids pick when they need to do a memory yeah. verse. Yeah, more, more than <laughs> any other verse. No, I think it's, uh, it's. I think it's really shines the light on the humanity of God. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yes, he was all God, but he was all human. Yeah, um, he came and he he wept. I think part of it to um, when he loved Lazarus, and but then also mm-hmm. part of the humanity that I think he displayed in terms of um, of his person and his nature. Um, so I think it's an important piece for us to to know that Jesus is um, he is the, uh, the the great I am, but he's also in while on earth he's in his um, his human state. Yeah, he cares. Mm-hmm. He sure does. Yeah, there, man. There's so much going on in this chapter. In John 11, it starts when Jesus is on the run for his life, right? Uh, his time has not come yet. Um, in John chapter 10, he had to retreat uh, mm-hmm. because they all wanted to kill him again because he knew who he was and he mm-hmm. wasn't being bashful about it. And people were starting to believe who he was and the religious establishment wouldn't have it. And so Jesus is far away and he hears news about his friend Lazarus getting sick. And uh, at first he's like, well, let's go ahead and stay here. And the disciples, I think they're pretty cool with that. Like, okay, cool. Let's not go back to the place where they all want you dead. And then it's after Lazarus has died that Jesus says, all right, time to go. And they're like, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? You're, you're a dead man there. You're, 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 you're Jerusalem's most wanted, if you will. You're Judea's most wanted. Um, and then Jesus goes into this strange, seemingly cryptic little thing about light and darkness again. He keeps on talking about it. Midnight, light. And he said, well, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense until there's this disciple named Thomas. And we're going to meet Thomas again later on. He's the doubter. I think that it is so cool that the person who's labeled for doubting for thousands of years to come, he's the one who goes ahead and he says, essentially, and I'm paraphrasing, well, we might as well go die with Jesus because it's better to walk with (laughs) Jesus through midnight than with anybody else through high noon. Mm. There, there's one like that in every group. There sure it? is. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, let's, let's just lose it all. And, and, and Jesus knows what he's doing. If he's going back to this place, he is willingly walking into the cold, dark jaws of death. And if he goes to this place and if he does what he says that he's going to do, I'm going to wake him up, right? He knows that those jaws are going to close on him. There is no way out of this. And so by giving, by giving his friend Lazarus new life, He's giving up his life already. I mean, he's mm-hmm. signing the death warrant here because people are going to see this and you see by the end of the, this, now they've had it. This is the mm-hmm. sign that's done it. People, everybody's going to believe him. And then they get mad at people who are associated with him. Even the next chapter says that Lazarus, they want to kill him too. What is it that drives Jesus to do this? I think that we see a lot of it when Jesus cries. Jesus cries and his tears are different than ours. Dad, you've seen me cry many times in my life. There's just no doubt about it. Emily, a, you've a known few. me for a long time, so you've probably seen me cry too. Um, <laughs> Brian went to one of your track meets and said, <laughs> you did the flying turkey. You might have seen me cry. Yeah. <laughs> it hurt. Um, you know, I, I cry when I have nothing else to do, mm-hmm. right? I cry when it's time for me to stay out of Judea, stay out of Jerusalem, because I can't help the situation. It's over. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. And throughout life, we have different reasons for crying. I cry when I feel helpless. Jesus Christ, is he feeling helpless? Is there nothing else he can do? No. He shows up, he gets there. And when Jesus cries, it's not because there's nothing that he can't do. It's because he's being moved 
to change forever for, for Lazarus, sure, but for all of us, right? I mean, right. his tears don't stop him. His tears aren't an expression of helplessness, but in his tears, he actually moves forward and he does something about it. And in this great commotion, as people are probably celebrating, going wild as Lazarus is walking out of the tomb, I imagine for a moment, is there Jesus seeing the crazy crowd around him and he mm. recognizes the darkness. Mm. Yeah. It's like he sees the cold, dark jaws of death closing on him. He's like, I'll do this. Mm. I'll take it on. Mm-hmm. It, is that, it is that emotion. It is that drive. It's him willing to experience uh, that kind of pain for us. And that shows that he's human. Yeah. But the fact that he can do something about the pain when none of us can, mm. it shows that he's God. It's fascinating to me that right after John makes the huge point of making sure we hear Jesus say that he's God. Like you were saying, Brian, Jesus shifts and says, but I'm also human and, and I can relate. Danny, as, as you articulated really well there too, go, I'll, I'll walk straight into the darkest places. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll walk straight into death even. And he's grieving. He's, he's, you know, Lazarus is a friend and, and he is grieving as, as a brother grieves the death of a brother um, and a friend grieves the death of a friend. This is important, I think, because we can know that there's a God who loves us, not just enough to come down and save us from sin and death and the devil, but who loves us enough to stand with us in our hurts, because there are times along the way when we're going to really hurt. I got an email question just as we were doing this podcast from, this is from you, Marsha J. so you know we're, we're paying attention to this, um, and trying to get as many of these questions as we can. We can't yeah. get to all of them that come in during the podcast, but we will get to them via email if, if we couldn't get to them uh, during the actual podcast. She says, why is it that God would purposely plan and blind the eyes and harden the hearts of those whom he wanted to have a relationship? Why is God have such a mixed kind of relationship with his chosen people? Why does it get so rocky? Mm. It's a really good question. And it gets back to um, the nature of God because he loves us so much. You know, in the best relationships we have with anybody, any other human being, um, you know, I think about my wife and I don't want to, when, when I'm, when I'm loving her at the top levels and she's loving me at the top levels, and when we're loving each other the best we can, the last thing we want to do is control each other. When I'm loving my best friends, when they're loving me, the last thing we want to do is control, we, we're going to um, point each other to, to things. We're, we're going we're gonna to try to hold each other accountable. And God does that for us, but God doesn't want to control us. God doesn't, again, make us, doesn't want to make us puppets. And so if God's going to choose to give us that kind of freedom, it's going to be rocky. It, there's going to there's be the potential for us to slip and fall. And in every case, as we read through Old Testament, New Testament, when people don't see the light mm. that you guys are talking about so well today, when we don't see what God wants us to see, and the question could be, well, why doesn't God just make us see it? Then wouldn't that be easier? Yeah, but there, but then it wouldn't be the. T- God wants nothing less than the best possible relationship that He can have with us, and that isn't going to be the best it can possibly be if we're just little wooden people toys that He moves around yeah. and says, "Now you're going to do this, and now you're going to do that." Instead, if we're actually living, breathing, purposeful people with choices and souls and freedom, and then we 
connect with God. Now that's a relationship. And that's mm-hmm. God wants nothing less than that with us. And he's willing to send his son into this world to die in order to get us there. Wow. God's into yeah. really healthy relationships and control is not an element that's included in healthy relationships. No, it's not. When I, when the, the, the goofy little sidetrack, but when Abby and I got our dog, Denver, um, our neighbor across the street who's a vet came over and I was like, hey, any advice? I don't know what I'm doing. And she said, you know, don't try to control him. Just love him. And I'm like, oh, that'll preach. <laughs> I mean, that, that's pretty great. You know, I mean, it's it's controlling when we fall into places like abuse and hurt. But it is loving and it is healthy when we believe that maybe there might be a, a force powerful enough in this world that won't necessarily force you to suppress, yeah. you know, these desires to go yeah. do other things that would be bad for you, but instead would actually allow you to express the gratitude and joy that comes from real love. Mm. Amen. That's good. That's good. Denver still doesn't listen to us. Okay, I was gonna ask. I, w- I was, I was gonna <laughs> add. Of course, I've, I've never tried to control my son. Yeah, uh, no, any level, so, well, maybe once or twice. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. But you never put me on a leash. No, never, <laughs> never. So some do though. Uh, why do some people honor Jesus in this time, and while others rejected him? There are multiple examples of both. Hmm. Danny. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we're, and we're going to have to go quick. We're running yeah. out of time. Well, just I think that just quickly, go ahead and take a look at what Jesus is saying in John chapter twelve. Now the time has come for the Son of Man. He's talking to himself to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth: unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Jesus keeps on talking about victory through losing. He keeps on talking about life through death. And that's really hard to follow. When people thought about the Messiah, they thought about the new Moses. They thought about this Passover meal where God is delivering his people. And when they're thinking about all the characters at the Passover meal, they're thinking, yes, I want to follow a guy like Moses who leads the people. What they didn't know is that they would actually be following the lamb, the meat on the table, the the actual meal. Um, So it's it's hard to follow somebody like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Jesus is... um is probably changes all of their thoughts about what a leader, what the Messiah is supposed to be. So they are looking for one thing and he certainly is uh, eradicating all the, the thoughts they had. He is fulfilling all scriptures. He's not, he's not coming to, um, to, to just walk alongside. He's leading. And I think when that happens, I think it's a, uh, it's an opportunity for those who really know who he is to, um, to, to step up. And uh, I think that's what the opportunity is here. And I think it's a good reminder for us that, you know, if we're ever tempted into thinking, I wish we lived in biblical times. I, I, li- I wish we lived when things were more moral and more righteous and, mm-hmm. and good. Wow, read First Kings again, or or read the Gospels and how much trouble Jesus is having with religious leaders. And I, I wish we lived in a time when governments weren't corrupt. And well, th- there's never been that time. And there probably never will be in this fallen world. So there's always going to be divides. There's always going to be people for the same reasons that I just talked about before that we've all talked about during this podcast. We're not controlled by God. We're loved by God. And because we're loved by God, then it becomes this choice. And and we have the freedom to embrace that love. We have the freedom to reject that love. It's always been that way, still is today. That should give us some solace, though, to say, all right, let's not freak out, Christian, about the fact that not everybody loves Jesus right now or follows mm-hmm. Jesus right now. Let's, let's, let's be what Jesus called us to be. Let's be shining lights. Let's be examples. Let's, let's love our enemies. Let's start there. Let's yeah. turn cheeks. Let's do things that are radical. That, let's find peace in the midst of storms. Let's, let's actually live out this abundant life that Jesus talks about in John 10.10. 10. Let's, let's claim it. Let's embrace it. Let's be it. 
um, you know, as we're fond of saying around hope, let's not just go to church, let's be the church. Mm-hmm. Let, let, let's go out there and, and act like Jesus uh, in, in everything that we say and do. We won't do it perfectly, not suggesting that. But man, there's a whole world that's dying to hear some good news. And they need to, s- more than what we say, they're going to see it in how we treat people and yeah. how we treat others, and especially maybe how we treat enemies, Yeah. however we define that. Speaking of some of that, Brian, what's the point of Jesus washing his disciples' feet? Sure, there's a great segue just in terms of being the example of serving yeah. each other. Yeah. Um, obviously, it was an opportunity for him to lead the way in service. And so the same way that Jesus washed uh, the disciples' feet is the expectation that we would wash each other's feet, that we would serve, that we would have enough humility um, to, regardless of our positional status, regardless of yeah. what level we've attained, is to understand that he desires that we love each other. Yeah. And part of loving each other is being willing to submit um, and serve. And yeah. so he led the way and it was a perfect example um, in showing. Sometimes you can say it, they can see it, because a lot of times the disciples just, they just didn't get it, no matter how much he told mm-hmm. them about what was coming. So uh, a perfect example of Jesus washing their feet, I think um, hopefully is something that they didn't miss. Yeah, that's good. That leads right into our last question, actually. Love yes. is the topic. Is Jesus the only way to heaven? And people wouldn't say, well, what does that got to do with love? It has everything to do with love. Jesus says right after he tells his disciples, I'm going to die, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be denied. They're bummed. <laughs> They're not feeling good about this at all. Then uh, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Mm-hmm. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many mansions or many rooms. The Greek word here is oikos. Um, you know, the, the, in my father's house, that's oikos. There are many mansions. Uh, the Greek word is monet for mansions. It's pretty cool to think about eternity is going to have these massive mansions, but people get too hung up on square footage and how, you know, what, how much space am I going to have and what am I going to do? <laughs> Because go back to the Greek word for house, in my father's house. A house, the word oikos doesn't just mean the building that you reside in. It's the people you reside with. Mm. So, Danny, you might remember this years ago when you and your brother and sister were, you know, high school, junior high age. We went to Chicago and the parsonage, the church across the street, I'm a pastor's kid, where I grew up was sitting empty because they were between pastors. And so we were visiting church that day and the interim pastor said, hey, I've got a key if you want to go see your old house. I was like, oh, this is great. I can show, you know, my wife had seen it. She grew up in the same neighborhood, but, and was a part of our church. But I was like, I can show my kids this big, massive, awesome house I grew up in. (laughs) You know, this is just going to be great because that was my memory. I hadn't been inside of it for decades. And we go in there and I was so disappointed. (laughs) It was empty. There's no furniture in there. And it seemed so small. Mm -hmm. It just seemed so empty. And I told my wife as we were leaving, I was like, that was really disappointing. You know, I I really thought it was a better house. She goes, it was. Mm. I said, oh, because the furniture wasn't in there. She goes, no, your mom and dad weren't there. Your brothers weren't there. Your dog wasn't there. The people weren't there that you lived with, that you did life with. Now that's heaven. Mm-hmm. That's the father's house. That's oikos. That it's not about so much the mansions as it is the relationships. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus is establishing this relationship with us. God is through Jesus Christ. We've been talking about that this whole podcast in all the many and various ways. And how does he do that? Or what's his motivation for it? It's love. Mm-hmm. 
It's the depth of God's love for us. It's the relationships that he's establishing with us and that we get to have with each other as the body of Christ. We're going to be together forever. I mean, <laughs> maybe that's not good news. Good. <laughs> I think that's really good news. I, because the house wouldn't be uh, fulfilling mm. if, if, it, if we didn't have the relationships with the people that we got to do life with this side of heaven. And so that's why it's just essential for God to tell us this. One other quick story. I went on a backpack trip when I was a youth director in Colorado. Long story, a lot shorter. Our guide told us, we're up in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. He says, there's a pathway that leads to the most beautiful, most glorious uh, scenic site that you could ever be in. But there's only one way to get there. You can't take a helicopter there. You could fly over it, but mm-hmm. it's not the same as being in it. He said, but you can't land the helicopter. So there's no, you can't take a bus tour up there. There's no resort up there. You can't build up there. There's only one way to get there, and it's on a hike. And you have to follow this one pathway. It's the only way to get there. Well, that was the most loving thing he could tell us. Mm-hmm. I'm the only way. I'm the only truth, and I'm the one who I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, "If he doesn't tell us that, it's not loving. If he loves us and he does, he's got to tell us where the pathway is. And if we love other people and we know Jesus loves them, we got to tell them. Mm-hmm. We, we got to get the word out. So get to it. Uh, tell people that God loves you and God loves them. And there is nothing more important." Man, I wish we could go another hour or, or two That's on fun. this, yeah. but it's time. So, Emily, yeah. you always have a good thought on all these things. What's jumping out to you as you're reading through this stuff, as you're hearing these conversations? What, 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 what are we missing as pastors that you're catching as a minister? I think, you know, through all these things, what stood out to me is just over and over again, Jesus is showing us a way that was unique to people. And it's all still applicable to us. Like the example of Jesus, as you're talking about washing the disciples' feet or all these other things, that's all still for us. It wasn't just for the disciples who weren't getting it. And we have this luxury of being able to read from all of their experiences and now just figure out how to, I think it's healthy to talk together about like, how do we apply this to this current state? And it all points back to leading with love and pointing people to him with love as we do it. So well said. And that's the pathway that leads to the light we've been talking about, that leads to the Zoe, the new and the everlasting life that we've been talking about. Man, once I finally saw that site that the guide led us to Mm -hmm. up in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado, he was right. Mm. I've never seen anything like it since or before. The most glorious thing my eyes have ever beheld, just in in God's creation. The most beautiful, most wonderful thing. What does scripture say about heaven? No eye has seen, no ear Mm. has heard what God has in store. Mm. Um, It's worth it. It's the pearl of great price. It's it's worth it. Somebody knew there was a site up there. And so somebody saw all the trees and saw all the chaos and all the things that you'd have to, and somebody had the vision to say, I'm going to make a way for this. Yeah, a pathway. Mm-hmm. I'm going, there was, there was none, Yeah, but I'll make it. So people see this the wrong way and say, well, it's so exclusive to say Jesus is the only way. Mm-hmm. He's the way, he's actually, it's the most inclusive thing possible. It's the most loving thing possible. Everybody can take this path. Yeah. He, he's made this path available for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's good news. It's, it, we, we can all take this path. We can all follow him. It's, um, it's a gift, and God's love is poured out for us, and you think that's good. Wait until you see the way John's gospel wraps up uh, mm-hmm. next week. So go to church this weekend. Find a Hope location near you. Uh, join us online, and if you're out of town, find a church um, that loves Jesus in, in your neighborhood, in your area, and get involved in that and dive into God's word. Uh, be the church as we've been talking about. Let your light shine as you lead others to the light 
the one who is the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Uh, we love you, but always remember God loves you more. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us today. Please make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite platform, and we'll see you next time. Yeah.